You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. On this episode of the Root Simple Podcast, I speak with frequent guest Eric Rochow of Garden Fork about fixing old houses, raising queen bees, and the over-harvesting of ramps. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers Robert G., Anne F., Dan F., Heather E., Lynn G., K., Scott G., Kellyan, Stephanie L., Erica R., Kelton M., Kyle P., Nicholas H., David, and Sandy S., Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W., Dutch Girl, Mary H., Stephen T., and Johan. And thank you, Michael, by the way, for your generous contribution this month. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And if you can't afford to contribute, that's perfectly okay. This podcast is an excuse to talk to interesting people around the world, and we'll always share it for free. And now, my conversation with Eric of Garden Fork. Welcome, Eric, again to the Root Simple Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. So what are you up to this afternoon? I'm having a glass of wine right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people should see your live stream. I, uh, I listened to it as a podcast uh, while I was at the gym. And uh, you oh, were and you were enjoying some wine during that, if I remember correctly. Well, it was at the end of the night. Um, it was really fun. It was. Um, I don't know if anyone watches YouTube, but now if you have a YouTube channel, you can also live stream. You just hook it up to your laptop, and and you make an. It's like an appointment. You you uh, set it up, and you can tell all your followers, "Hey, I'm going to go live at X time." and most of my viewers are in the Midwest, and I live on the East Coast, so I made it that I was talking at 9 o'clock at night so they could watch. It would be 8 o'clock their time. They'd be maybe just getting home or whatever, and they could watch Eric ramble. And it was a lot of fun, and then I turned it into a podcast for the Garden Fork Radio podcast, and it was it was neat. I'm always kind of uh, stunned at the people that show up and they are interested in what I'm doing. And wasn't Will kind of running the back office on it somehow? Yeah, Will's the whole reason I'm alive right now. He is—he has more energy than you and I put together. <laughs> this is Will of the Weekend Homestead YouTube channel, and um, he found me much like most of my online friends, just by persistently bugging me. Um, and he—and uh, he's like, "Hey, what about this? What about that?" And I'm like, "And he—he's brilliant, and he texts me all the time with ideas." And he said, "Why don't you do a, a live stream, and I'll moderate the comments?" And I'm like, "Okay." And I just thought I'd try it, and um, it was wildly successful. So, yeah, he's a, um, he's a really nice guy. He's got his own um, YouTube channel as well. People should check and out. And he's he's blogging. He's doing a video blog, a vlog, um, once a day. I think for the next thirty days. So it's kind of fun because he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna test out a battery charger," you know, and he makes a whole video about it. <laughs> yeah, super cool. Well, one of the things we wanted to talk about today was the fact that we're both owners of really old houses. So at least old by American standards. So what's what's the ugly truth, as you put it, before we started recording about having an old house? It's not nearly as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> no kidding. I am uh, updating the plumbing in one of the bathrooms, and it has it's a hundred ten year old row house in Brooklyn. You know, it's a it's a limestone, which is same as similar to a brownstone. You know, those beautiful houses that are all the same with the big stoops and everything. And but the plumbing is a hundred and ten years old, and it has for the sh for the bathtub shower, you know, it has these two big knobs in the left and right that have been replaced a couple million times, and a, on a tub spout and a shower head, 
And whenever someone else in the building turns on the water or flushes a toilet or whatever, it, it becomes very hot or very cold. So uh, I promised my wife I would put in one of those uh, load balancing valves, you know, with the single kind of knob where you turn it to the heat, you know, the temperature you want. Right. And if someone else turns on the water, it automatically compensates for that pressure drop. And so it doesn't scald you or freeze you. It keeps the temperature within about five degrees. It does a pretty good job. But trying to kludge. 2018 technology onto 1907 technology. Yeah, no kidding. Are they so galvanized the, pipes? I mean, is it that? The, they're brass. They're brass pipes. So they, it's like brass pipe, but then there's some copper pipe mixed in. Huh. And um, your hands are, you know, you don't want to make that big of a hole in your tile, but then you keep making the hole even bigger because you need to get back. And the the brass pipe runs with the electric and the plumbing all in what I, what's called a raceway or a riser. And um, it's taken me two days to do it. <laughs> now, brass pipe? I don't know if I've ever... Is that an old-timey thing? or? Uh, oh, yeah. That's how they originally plumbed the house was with brass. And huh. um, it's a very thick-walled pipe. And um, it's worth a lot of money at the scrapyard. So if you ever take it out, don't just don't just throw it out. <laughs> huh, do you, can you saw... I mean, how do you... How do you connect? You can it? solder. It's it's all threaded. It's just like galvanized, oh, just I like see. black gas pipe. So um, you have to do uh, a threaded to uh, a sweated fitting, and then you build from there into your uh, valve, your load adjusting valve, the shower valve, or you can go with PEX, which is not to code in New York City, but PEX, which is that new flexible red kind of hose, right. Uh, is to, is code in a lot of part of the country, but um, I just uh, I don't feel comfortable putting pecs in, in an old building like this. So right now, how long have you been in that old building? This one about three years. I I oh, lived okay. in a similar building for fifteen years, um, and we sold out of that one, and then we bought this one in a in a slightly. It's a, called a neighborhood called Sunset Park, which uh, has encompasses what's called Industry City, which is an up and coming. These warehouses are becoming converted into uh, startup incubators and microbreweries. Oh. We even have a sake microbrewery. Wow. And it's like a big food hall down there. And if anyone's been to Chelsea Market in Manhattan, it's it's becoming something like that. So that's nearby here. Now, what are, what other things have you had to do to that house to get it livable? Or was it pretty good when you got into it? Some of the things were done. I had to put in a new boiler. It was an oil-fired steam boiler that resembled a small uh, diesel and railroad locomotive, you know? Yeah, right. I've seen those. And all the hot water for the house was fed by that as well. So it would run in the summer, and it would make the garden floor wicked hot because you've got this, <laughs> this giant piece of steel that you have to keep hot to just for hot water. So uh, I converted to gas, natural gas, and I got a very efficient boiler. And uh, my deal with the plumber was a friend of mine was I would be his assistant. And uh, I should have never volunteered for that. But <laughs> he rode me pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously? It was like the Marines or something. And then you have to get the oil tank removed. And thankfully, our oil tank wasn't buried. It was just on little uh, legs in the front half of the basement but that was very interesting watching that operation uh very low tech um they just took a sawzall and cut it or first they cut a big hole in it and they scooped out the oil sludge into five gallon buckets and then they just hauled the whole thing off and i was mm -hmm. like oh okay <laughs> now uh do you sometimes wish you were a renter 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for living in a condo tower, you know, or because there's someone that takes care of it all. Yeah, no kidding. We had a big downpour, or, you know, just a, I mean, in the Midwest, we call it a gully washer, but um, just a huge downpour yesterday, and my roof drain clogged, and so it was coming off the back of the building, and it was hitting the bulkhead, which goes into the basement, so it flooded into the basement, and Luckily, I fixed it. I was here and I could fix it. But my neighbors, their whole basement flooded because somebody had someone was goofing around on a roof and threw a plastic bottle down their rain mm, down spot, boy. which connects to the sewer drain, and it clogged the sewer drain. So when all the rain came, it flooded into their basement. You wow. know, weird stuff like that that if you're just renting, you don't have to deal with. <laughs> it's a little off topic, but I, I watched a video about New York water towers that was pretty hair-raising recently about their lack of maintenance. <laughs> Your, your building's not tall enough for one of those. but um. Right. Yeah, for water pressure in taller buildings, they pump the water to the top of the building on the roof, and they have a wooden tower that's basically a giant barrel. And, um, yeah, I, I would imagine if you don't keep up on that, you can get some uh, not great yeah. little micro 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 animals growing in there floating rats <laughs> let's just put it that way anyway so uh, before we uh, started uh, recording to you um, we were talking about raising queens and uh, you told a funny story about well why you were trying to do it but also uh, where where does one get uh, uh, queen bees in the city of new york well i keep uh i used to keep my bees up near our little weekend house in connecticut and it became really unfun and i was like well this is supposed to be fun because i would my bees were not in my yard they were about seven miles away in my friend's farm and um whenever i drove down there i would have naturally forgotten a tool or something i needed and the weather up there is gets really wicked cold so um and with the mite load and all that um I, it would just wipe out the bees every year and i was like so a buddy of mine uh, owns a building, another row house like mine, right next to a cemetery called Greenwood Cemetery, which is, I think it's 200 years old. Uh, there's uh, there's all sorts of uh, different soldiers buried there. There's famous – Leonard Bernstein is there. Mm -hmm. uh, Basquiat is buried there. Uh, Civil War generals are buried there. So, um, But it's basically a 500-acre botanic garden with a bunch of beautiful mausoleums. And my buddy is right – on the border of it. And I'm like, well, this would be great to put bees up here. So we moved our bees to that rooftop, which has been wildly successful. But a couple of times, either through us being uh, idiot beekeepers, uh, we've crushed a queen while, you know, checking the hive or the, the queen has died in some way. Um, you, there aren't any queen breeders nearby in New York city. You can go out to uh, upstate New York and have one, FedEx, which is $65. Um, Better Bee is the company, and they're super nice. Um, it's just it's quite expensive because you have to have it shipped overnight. You can't do anything else. But there are a couple of hobby queen breeders out in Long Island, and one of them, I don't think he wants his name uh, put on the podcast, but um, I emailed him, and he lives way out on Long Island, and it would take me like maybe hour and a half, two hours with traffic to get out there and meet him after work and then drive back with this queen. And he said, um, you know, I work in Flushing, Queens, which is this huge, it's basically the giant Chinatown in Queens. It's a, it's a food mecca. It's the end of the seven line train. If everyone's been in the seven line train that goes through Times Square. 
And I'm like, wow, that would be great. I could come up to Flushing, Queens. And he's like, okay, meet me at 1230 in the Burger King. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you take the train. I take the seven. I get in the queue and I jump onto the seven in the Manhattan. And you ride it all the way out. And you get off. And it's just this. It's such, it's a bustling, booming neighborhood. If you have time in New York City, go out to Flushing. There are these food. There are these little. Um, you can barely tell the entrance is like a little food court or something. And you go in, and you're the only one speaking English. Um, but you know, there's all these great foods, and I'm like, what is that? You know, and you just you want to try it. But there is a Burger King there, and um, I met the gentleman there, and um, we always have a cup of tea or a coffee. And we talk about raising uh, bees because he raises bees on Long Island. And uh, you buy a queen from him and then you get back on the subway and you <laughs> go back to your That's house. That's great. <laughs> so what I'm trying to do now, um, there are four other beekeepers near me. So I think I have enough drone diversity now here in Brooklyn that we pulled uh, – there's a super easy way to raise your own queens that if you have a robust hive or two – with some what's called open brood or uncapped brood, you want eggs that have been laid within one, I think it's one to three days. But when you pull out your frame and you see down in the bottom of the cell, this tiny, tiny little white worm down there, that's a, that egg has just been laid. And you can pull two frames of that out. And the bees that cling to those frames are called nurse bees. They won't fly away. They stay with the brood. That's their, their kind of hard DNA to do that. And you can put those in an, uh, a small hive box called a nuke with some honey and some pollen. And I always shake some extra bees into there. And you put an entrance reducer on there. And you put this little mini hive nearby. And they will immediately sense that they are queenless because the queen pheromones no longer being broadcast in this mini hive. And they will take several of those small just laid eggs and they will start to create royal jelly out of the top of their heads and they feed it to this small egg larva. And it does a hormonal change to where it will be, it will grow up to be a queen. So then um, they'll raise three to five of these in the hive. And then the first queen that is hatched will kill the other queens that haven't hatched yet. And then she goes on uh, virgin mating flights. And because there are two of my buddies are raising or have bee yards in the Greenwood Cemetery, plus the hives that I have. So there's going to be a drone congregation zone somewhere. And the queen, virgin queen will mate with the drones. The drones die, by the way, after mating. That's their sole job. And then um, we have a queen that I didn't have to pay $65 for it. <laughs> Free bee. Right. Exactly. That, that was a long story. Right. You mentioned drone congregation zones, and I've always found that fascinating, that there's this, there's these areas where apparently they hover um, maybe 100, 200 feet in the air, just per, kind of permanently during the, I guess, during the warm parts of the year where you are. Very strange. Yeah, to me, drones are kind of like big black Labradors in the high. They just kind of like, they lump around and they look for food, you know? <laughs> Right. And and right. then when they when they're flying around they if they essentially find a female in heat then they they do what animals do, you know. Yeah. And um so drones are kind of useless otherwise. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever raised a queen or Well, you know, you describing that process, I I've done trap outs, which is kind of inadvertently the same kind of thing where you get some brood comb and you stick it in a box next to a, a one-way exit. 
and they make a new queen in there. So I guess it's kind of the same same idea. Oh, I've seen uh, a couple of your articles about that. I, by the way, I read Roots, Roots Simple at night when I'm going to bed. And and I watch Gordon Garden Fork, of course, when I go to bed. <laughs> it too, is such so. a huge site. I'm like, you know, there's always the first page, and then I'm like, well, let's dig deeper here. Let's find something from ten years ago. You <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, the ten year ago, those are scary. Those <laughs> ones are scary. Well, you've been at it for longer, right? Haven't you been? Yeah, doing, I don't yeah. know. Ben, I lost track. You lost track of the year you started making YouTube videos. I've started my dog. One of my dogs is eleven or twelve, and I and oh, we started when she was a puppy. So. Right, and we both made zines too. I find that funny too that we we did that in the nineties. So somehow it all evolved into this internet thing. I want to make the zine again. Yeah, so um, do I. Really I really love I yeah. love analog. I've been doing lino block printing. I've been making uh, little thank you cards and greeting cards for my uh, Garden Fork Patreon supporters. Right. So when I send them a card, a little thank you card, and it, it's kind of the, it's amazing. It costs, you know, what, 50 cents in, in stamps, you know, and you make this little card. People love it. Yeah, you sent me one. They're very nice. Yeah. Suitable yeah. for framing. Well, exactly. All we have to do is game the copy place like we did in the 90s, right? <laughs> I didn't say that. There, there were techniques for the younger people. Uh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> so I have a question for you. How is, how is your multi-renovation going? Uh, it's, it's insane here. I decided it would be a good idea to tackle both the outside and the inside at once. And, uh, we're doing some found, there's some foundation work, which I shouldn't talk about, but it's a little bit of foundation work going on. There's some patio, like a really stupid patio was poured above the level of the sill plate in the backyard. So naturally that yeah, rotted out. That. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we're kind of addressing that right now. So there's some juggling of contractors. And I just decided to do only, if it involves the wood in the house, I'll tackle that. So I framed some walls, someone else drywalled it. Basically, we're just putting the house back to the way, exactly the way it was when it was built in 1920, which I've kind of found is, it seems to work with this house. It doesn't work with every other house. But, uh, and in fact, you know, I, I, I blogged about uh, not liking open floor plans, but then we're... <laughs> <laughs> we're opening up the 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 uh, two front rooms of the house because they used to be open in in the old days. I found a it was it was obvious when I did the floor many years ago that the two rooms were open to each other. And sure enough, when I took the drywall out, there was a header in there, so we we know for sure that it was open at one time. So we're kind of restoring that, basically fixing windows. It's crazy. Painting has to well, be yeah. floors, you know. So yeah. On your site, you have a post about it, and you link to the house, a PDF of the house plans. The company had a catalog of different house plans, and yours is in there. And I looked at the PDF. It's fascinating, all the different house designs they have. Yeah, it's the Pacific Ready Cut Company. It's sort of like the Sears, the, the West Coast version of the Sears uh, uh, kit houses, uh, yeah. essentially. So yeah, that, that was pretty common, probably not in New York city, I imagine, but, um, the Midwest for sure, you're going to find a lot of Sears houses, that kind of in thing. Sh in Chicago and St. Louis are a lot of Sears houses. Also Montgomery Ward had houses you could buy and they would come on a rail car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the company here was massive. So it did kind of the whole West coast. So you'll find the houses here all the way up to Seattle, kind of looking the same, same sort of, I yeah. It was interesting that in the catalog, they also had apartment houses they would build for you, like a four-flat um, complex. Yep. You know? They would make a gas station for you, a barn, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
Um, by the way, if anyone's wondering about putting the, the cement pad above a sill plate, um, a sill plate is a flat piece of wood that goes between your foundation wall and your house. The sill plate attaches the house to the cement of your basement, basically. And if you have a cement patio that is above that piece of wood, uh, it's going to invite rot because the water is going to come and trickle off the cement because it has nowhere to go, and it's going to dump onto the sill plate against the house and rot the sill plate out. So, And then you have to take car jacks and have some fun. <laughs> you're lucky you don't have termites. They didn't get termites in there. Oh, it's more dry rot. So, yes, yeah. and I can't find anyone to do it for me, so a buddy and I are probably going to get some car jacks and have a very exciting afternoon. Yeah, you know, you only have to lift the house a tiny bit. Exactly, yes. <laughs> We hope that I've goes it, well. So. You've done it. You could fly me out. Oh, yeah? You have any <laughs> advice for me? <laughs> um, well, just use pressure-treated wood, and yep. um, you might have to plane down the edges of it that you're slamming in there. And um, it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> done is better than perfect. The problem I have is that this house is made with... Uh, rough sawn lumber, so everything is a weird size. So the sill plate is oh, actually two inches. Yes, so I have to I have to figure that out. I'm probably going to have to put two pieces of wood together and plane one yep. down. So yep. Anyways, enough of that. That's not so exciting. You mentioned another thing uh, called ramps, which maybe some people might know what a ramp is, and some people might not. What what is a ramp? It's a wild plant that foodies are all gaga over, and I'm going to be the the guy that pours cold water all over it. Yeah? Oh, because, it, well, go ahead. Well, I live in the Northeast, which is um, a place where gramps grow. They grow in the, in the shady parts of big forests, and um, they have always been a food source for families. You know, you're hiking in the woods, and you're like, oh, let's get some ramps, and they have a it's a cross between an onion and a garlic kind of flavor, and they have a almost like a spinach-like like leaf and a small bulb at the bottom. And they're delicious. You can saute them. Uh, you know, they're sautéed. They're at their uh, at ultimate. I think maybe you could. I think if you cook them any more than that, you're you're. It's no why bother digging them up. You know, but they grow in clumps throughout the Northeast. I think they can grow all the way to Georgia. Um, they might grow in the Midwest as well. I don't remember. But, you know, when we're in the woods, we might come across a big patch of those. And you dig some up and you, and you go on your way and you, you have them for dinner. But the problem is, is that uh, the foodie world in the last, like, 10 years has thought, oh, we're for naturally foraged ramps, you know. And so the farmers at the farmer's markets um, are – this is kind of a very overgeneralization, Okay. They're either hiring people or going out into woods or state forests and digging up ramps by the bushel load, or people are just going on hikes and digging up by the bushel load, and they're selling them to uh, customers or restaurants um, or people just digging them by themselves, and I think ramps are slowly going extinct <laughs> because they take forever to grow. They're incredibly slow growing, and the amount of ramps out there are not sustainable to the amount of people that want to eat them now. So there was a quote, I will send you the link to this very deeply researched web post somebody wrote, but he quoted a scientist as saying it's 
when you when you're digging up ramps, you're basically like cutting old growth forest. Wow, wow. So they're delicious and they're neat to have, and it's fun to run across them in the woods. But it's become unsustainable, I think. But there is a uh, silver lining to this. There are several uh, nonprofit groups, plant uh, conservation groups, that are selling ramp seedlings, mm -hmm. and you can grow them in a raised bed in oh. the shade. Are you going to try that? I am because I have a lot of shade in my. I have a lot of woods near Miami, and um, I have transplanted ramps from the woods into the woody part of my yard. Hmm. And I, I guess I'll have to send you a picture. But I literally put these clumps in five years ago, and every year they come up, oh. and they are the same size they were five years ago. They haven't like multiplied, oh. you know, ten times over. They're not like dandelions, so right. <laughs> so you don't do you haven't so you don't have enough to cook with then. It sounds like, or do you? No, I don't. And it really occurred to me, like, wow, because we we go to some areas, and um, you can tell they've been picked over. And you know, one person comes, they're like, well, I'll only take ten percent. The next person comes, and goes, well, I'll only take ten percent. And then, you know, after the fifth person, it's half gone, and it won't build back up to what it was for many years. No, it was like you said, it was a big foodie thing, and I've never had them. Is it really that? I mean, the the hype over them was such that I, I you know, I'm just curious. Is it really that exciting, or can you just use onions and garlic? Because it's kind of the same thing. Um, if you can hear banging, it's one of my Labradors nice. trying to get my attention here. Um, well, the here's the thing. Um, it's one of those things that the experience of going in the woods and digging them up and cooking them is great. They're only viable for about three weeks and then they turn kind of woody and they're not worth and then they they die out in june they're gone hmm. um they'll and they'll reoccur in the spring again but there's this uh experience and kind of a manufactured um oh it's the wild ramps you know and i'm gonna just blow a big hole in this because uh when you cook them they taste almost exactly like sauteed scallions <laughs> <laughs> well there you go I mean, I could, I could blindfold you, I bet, and feed mm. you a sautéed ramp mm. and feed you a sautéed scallion and say, did I feed you the same thing or something different? Yeah. You know? Well, there you go. So, I, you know, I love food. I like talking about it. But people just seem blind to what's happening. You know, we're all about artisanal heirloom, uh, sustainably raised chickens. And, you know, there's that Portlandia episode where they oh, ask yeah. about the life of the chicken. That's so good. You know? Well, when you go in the restaurant, ask about the life of the ramp, you know? <laughs> and you'll end up in some cult. That's the best part of that <laughs> sketch. But uh, anyways, uh, so what else are you working on? Is there, speaking of food, is there something in the uh, Garden Fork Kitchen Lab uh, in, in the works right now that we, we, we can get a scoop on here at Root Simple? Eric the Northerner is going to try and make southern buttermilk biscuits. Oh, yeah. I heard a little, you were talking about that. You you had a bit of a cornbread disaster a while back, so you're you're moving on to biscuits. Yeah, I tried to make corn pone, which is um, the simplest cornbread you can make, and of course I messed that up. There's a whole video about it. Um, but it got a lot of reaction, and um, Jimmy Goots, who is my um, executive producer of our podcast, which just means that he texts me and tells me what could be better about the show. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I talked about white lily flour, which is a southern soft protein flour in the south, and it's a self-rising flour. 
And that is what people use in the South to make these biscuits that can't be duplicated anywhere else. Mm. So he sent me a five-pound bag of white lily flour, and I think it cost $20 to send the bag. Wow, that's great. <laughs> so I have it, and I got some fancy Irish butter. I'm going to try it that way. And on the side of the package, I'm like, well, let's just look at the white lily recipe. On the side of the package, they say to use Crisco. Well, yes. <laughs> that's probably the secret. So that's what I'm going to do. I mean, they used to make them with lard. I've been, there's a You're place that, um, right? yeah. near me that, a southern restaurant near me that uses them and, ma- and uses lard to make them. Yeah. Uh, but you can't eat that every day. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Anything else uh, video-wise you're working on, non-food related? Um, I'm, I built a new LED grow light. I bought some LED shop lights, the cheapy ones at Costco, and I thought, maybe I can make a grow light out of this. So I used my new FluxCore welder uh. to take a – I took a mattress frame, you know, the metal brown right. mattress yes. frame. It's angle iron, you know? Right, right. So I built a, I built a little seedling uh, grow light rig so it'll hold the lights above the seedlings, and um, that should be out fairly soon. I need to edit that down. Nice. And I'm drawing a blank because it's 7 o'clock and I've been doing plumbing all day. There you go. We need to let you uh, get finish that glass of wine and relax. Cause, yeah. um, Here, you talk. I'll drink. Yeah, Zach. There you go. What are you drinking, by the way? Uh, just a, a, a Chilean Malbec. Oh, that's right. Malbec. You have, you like the Malbecs. Yeah, I did that on the live stream. Right. If you want to check, uh, check out the live stream, if you subscribe to Garden Fork on YouTube and then click the little – there's a little bell icon next to the subscribe button. And then it'll get you uh, – an alert on your mobile device, or I think maybe an email if it's if you're on a, a desktop machine, and say Eric's going to do a thing, or sign up for our email. You just go to GardenFork.tv, and there's an email link there. I send out an email before I do it. I was supposed to do one this week, but I got overwhelmed. I have to get this plumbing project done so we can take showers again. That would be nice. <laughs> get that plumbing done. I've been there. I've, I've started plumbing projects and ended up with 11 p.m. trips to the Orange Store. So yeah, you know. <laughs> What's this um this table you made this arts and crafts style table? Oh, the little tiny table. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I've I've I just well, you've kind of gone deep into the welding, and I decided that that I would just kind of go deep into the the woodworking and carpentry stuff. So that was my first attempt at a proper, or maybe second attempt at a proper piece of furniture. And, it looked great. Uh, yeah, it came out okay. Uh, figuring out the finish was the toughest part, to be honest. But um, but yeah, it's fun. I'm going to make some more stuff soon. I'm going to maybe tackle a dresser soon. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to oh, be wow. significantly more difficult. So yeah, well, there we I go. have I have a one word, three syllable answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, IKEA. Yeah, I I have a I, this is my weird obsession with with doing this kind of old style furniture. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. But I've been enjoying the I, wood yeah. shop. Yeah, I particularly like that your workshop is at is right on the sidewalk. So yes. it's kind of like social. It's social workshop hour. Yeah, that Kelly accuses me of. That's all it's about. Actually, that it's a conversational trap. So neighbors come by drop in i've been thinking of installing a bar down there but we'll see how that goes so well we we sit on our stoop in the evening and have a glass of wine and people stop in and sometimes they don't leave for an hour <laughs> yeah exactly that's what it's all about yeah 
No, that's that's a good thing about city life. Actually, is is um, I, I don't know about where, where you are, but it sounds like similar where everyone, the neighbors, know each other and people drop by. So that's a fun part of it. Yeah, we complain about parking. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember that from my Brooklyn visit many years ago. That was interesting. Yikes. Yep, exactly. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you taking some time to be on the podcast, and uh, good luck with that plumbing project. Get that done. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a picture. It's a lovely thing. Don't publish it, though. <laughs> right. Okay. Maybe just for Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. All right. Take care. That was Eric Rochow. You can find his website at gardenfork.tv, and you can find him, of course, on YouTube. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. Our closing music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.